Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Matthew chapter 28, and we'll begin our reading in verse 16. Matthew chapter 28, and we'll begin... In verse 16 and read through verse 20. It is one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture. You should recognize it well. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Now he has risen. And he is about to meet with his disciples. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Don't, don't let that throw you for a loop. The word here for doubt is not unbelief. It's a word for uncertainty or hesitation. And I'll give you a great example when Peter began to sink in the water after taking his eyes off of Jesus, it was the same word that Jesus used here that he used with Peter. Peter hadn't suddenly become an agnostic or an atheist. He just got really wet. He just became a Baptist, okay? And so Jesus tells him the same word. Oh, you of little faith, why, why did you doubt? It's so cool that the scriptures, you know, if they were going to fabricate them, if the church was going to just invent a bunch of stuff and put it in book in a book like some have have lied and said that they did, that verse wouldn't be in there. The disciples aren't going to write in there. Yeah, well, some of us doubted. It. It's just not going to happen. Verse eighteen, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo I am with you always even to the end of the age or to the end of days. I want to begin with a question that most of you will know easily because we talked about it before. What is the purpose of the church? To honor and glorify God. That's the purpose of the church. It is the same purpose for a blade of grass. It's, it's the same purpose for kudzu. Okay? Really, every cell God created on this earth, and boy, kudzu does a good job. But everything on this earth, from a baby possum to Billy Graham, was created by God to Bring him honor and glory. That is the purpose of the church. 
I want to ask you a second question, though. What is the business of the church? And you, you don't have to try to answer, but I, I want you to understand that the business of the church is the variety of things that the church will do to honor and glorify God. And so we're about to learn here about the business of the church. And Jesus gives us their first order of business right off the bat. He says, make disciples. If we break that passage down in the Greek text, we'll discover that's really the only imperative in his command. The go at the beginning of that verse is as you are going. It is a passive part or a participle. It is as you are going. It's not go. That's not an imperative. But but this is an imperative when he says make disciples. So that's the business of the church. Now, Two things that are going to challenge us here and, and before we look at the text. The world makes that difficult. The world makes it difficult. Recently I read that roughly half of all Americans believe they will go to heaven if they are generally good and do enough good things. That's what half of Americans believe. While one-third believes salvation is obtained only by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, only a third believe that we find salvation in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. But half of America, one, believes it's going to heaven. And two, they believe they're going there because they are nice. When you try to share what Jesus tells his disciples here that they need to do, when, when, when you're trying to teach this kind of world whatever Jesus has commanded us and everything that Jesus has commanded us, I can tell you it's, it's hard to sell that in our world for lack of a better term. That, it, it's, it, that most people don't see that I need a transformation or I need to embrace everything that Jesus had to say and, and I need to be, uh, a, become a pupil, a disciple of Jesus Christ, not just have some conversion experience and be baptized or whatever. Most people have no clue and no desire for any of that. But the church makes it difficult as well. In another survey I found, 70%, 70% of evangelical churchgoers, and if you don't know what an evangelical is, that is somebody who is, I guess the best way to say it, they're not a Catholic. And they also believe that salvation does come through Jesus Christ. And, and so that's where we, we believe in the gospel. But I can tell you that term used to have meaning. Like the term Christian, it no longer really means anything. 
because there are so many varieties of evangelicals. Just because someone says, I am an evangelical, uh, there may be baggage attached to that that would absolutely deny the first claim. But 70% of evangelicals, here's a good example of one of those, evangelical churchgoers say people are basically good. Now that sounds good. That sounds like you get some thumbs up on Facebook for that. But that's not what Jesus taught us. It's not what he said about us. He said we are sinners and that we are fundamentally flawed and, and that we don't, uh, uh, we, 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 we're not sinners because we sin. No, we, we sin because we are sinners. It is absolutely who we are. And we desperately need a Savior. That's 58% of American evangelicals that attend church. 44% of American believers think Jesus probably sinned. Do you realize the ramifications of that? That means he's not who he said he was. His first sin, I guess, would be lying about who he was. Because if he sinned, he is not the Son of God. He is not divine. He's a liar. And he told the biggest lie in all the world and got more people to believe it than anybody in the history of the world. But 6% It says only 6% of American believers, or Americans, I should say, adhere to a biblical worldview. Now, biblical worldview means you see the world through the lens of Scripture, okay? And and you immediately uh, understand terms through Scripture, through the lens of Scripture. For example... What is reality? Reality is how things are as determined by God. What is truth? Truth is that which corresponds with reality. If it doesn't, then it is not truth. Doesn't matter if it's your truth or my truth or some subjective personalized version of of truth, if it doesn't reflect reality, it is not truth. That's looking at it through a biblical lens. Another term, knowledge. Knowledge is the ability to express truth. If, if, if you don't know that uh, uranium isotope uh, 238 breaks down uh, into PB206, which is lead, If you don't know that, you can't express that. You have to have some measure of knowledge about that because that is a truth. But 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 there's so many other truths more important than uranium isotopes. But you can't express truth unless you have knowledge. One one more term, and by the way, youth, I'm hoping later this fall. To get to spend some time with you, I'd really love to do another worldview study with our youth. We got a lot of new kids here, and I'd love to spend some time talking with you about these things. The, an, another last term, though, I would say the word belief. It's the weakest word we've covered so far. 
All it takes for something to be a belief is for somebody to believe it. Okay? If you believe it, that's a belief. It doesn't mean I need to believe it. It doesn't mean it's true at all. But all you got to do is believe it. And, 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 and so belief is, is, is totally subjective. It's, it's totally up to you. You can believe anything you want to believe. I, I'm, I'm amazed we still have people who believe that the earth is flat. I, I even have people sometimes come up to me and they'll say, and I, I've, I've got a good retort for this, they'll say, uh, you're not one of them that believes they actually went to the moon, do you? I go, you, you're not one of them that believes the moon is real, are you? And they're like, oh, I'm behind on my conspiracy theories. I need to catch up. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you're going to say to people like that. And please don't come up to me after church and go, well, now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to send you to a website. Don't do it. Because I'm going to think you're stupid, okay? And I'm not going to say it, but I promise you I'm going to think you are ignorant. Okay, so just spare us both that. George Barna, who does a lot of the research I talked about already, says this, and then we'll move on. He says, Americans appear to be creating unique, highly customized worldviews based on feelings, experiences, and opportunities rather than working within the boundaries of a comprehensive, time-tested, consistent, biblical worldview. We create our own. We decide what is sin, what is not, how I see it, how I feel about it. I know you've heard me run it in the ground. Well, keep all of that in mind as we move ahead here. Jesus is about to call a church business meeting, okay? This is the only one I know of that actually had in the Bible. This is a church business meeting. Now, if you're like me, and I love our business meetings here, man, we can do so many incredible things in the span of 15 minutes. I mean, this place here... Boy, what a, what a great, what, what, how, how cool is it that we vote on a budget or do whatever. And I mean, 15 minutes max, and, and we're, we're done. The business is over. That's why I love being part of the Sandy Run Association. Go to one of their meetings, man. If you're going to say anything about business or any of that, you better get it said fast because we're going to do 15 minutes of business and two hours of worshiping God. Because the business of the church is making Disciples. Making disciples. And what if every church business meeting you went to was about church business? Making disciples. We have to have a business meeting tonight, Pastor. We got some business to take care of. Yes, we do. What if every business meeting was about that? Could someone please read the minutes to the last meeting? Go make disciples. All approved, let be known by the uplifted right hand. See how quick that would be? That's the business of the church. I've been to church business meetings. It took two hours to figure out who was going to check on the price somebody else heard that might be available from his brother-in-law on a lawnmower belt. And how people go, well, those things are important. Not to God. They just import it to a bunch of Folks that 
I don't know if they tithe or not, but whatever they gave, they want to make sure it goes to the right place. You should have just kept it. You should have just kept it, and that way you could just spend it however you wanted to. But, but Jesus is about to call a business meeting. And verse 17 says, when he shows up here at the mountain, says they worshiped him. And that's the best way to start. I love the song we did today. What else do we have to give to the king of kings? The only thing we have that we can give him is our worship. It's the only thing that we can. Well, let's take a look at this. This is the business of the church, make disciples. But it's not easy. But Jesus is going to help us with that. First of all, he says it's going to require commitment, or at least the passage indicates that. Look at verse 16. But the 11 disciples proceed to Galilee. Wait a minute. I thought that they were 12. Well, you already know what happened, don't you? One of them wasn't who he said he was. Must have been pretty good at being a hypocrite, too. Because when Jesus brought it up near the end of his ministry, the disciples were still asking, is it me? They had no clue who it was. So you can do some things that look Christian and churchy and all of that, but you might not be committed to Christ. So when it came time for Jesus Christ to launch the mission of the church, there were 11 of them. And I'm not just trying to make a point out of nothing here. What I'm trying to tell you is is not everybody's going to do it. Not everybody is going to do it. And I will tell you Judas's problem, the reason he never made disciples is because he wasn't one himself. And that's the same reason most don't do it nowadays. You have to be one yourself. You have to be a disciple of Christ. You have to be a pupil of Christ. You have to be learning. If, 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 and, and to tell you how difficult this is, I please don't raise your hands, okay? But what if I did ask for a show of hands and ask you, and all the years that you have been born again, can you name five people, individuals by name, that you discipled. I mean, this is the only thing he told us to do. Can you name five? Some of you are sitting there going, I'm trying to think of one. I'm not talking about you led them to Christ. He, Jesus didn't say, go therefore and lead them to me or let them have a conversion experience. No, he said, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to spend time teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I mean, where would we start? Most, most people would, would be horribly embarrassed because th- they wouldn't know what to say. They would not know how to go about it. And the reason we don't know that is we've not been coming to class. And I don't mean just coming and sitting in church, but, but are you... Are you a pupil? Do you just hear sermons? You know, sometimes we hear sermons and it's, it's sort of like just watching a movie. We, we, we leave there and we go, boy, old John Wayne was on, on, his, on his stuff today, but it didn't make you a cowboy. 
You just left the same person you were before. It entertains you. You liked here, and you might go back. But we have not learned ourselves, first of all. We may mention that again in a moment, but we have to be committed. It also requires compliance. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. What if they looked at Jesus and said, well, you know, we can worship you anywhere, okay? So we don't have to go to this mountain. <laughs> I bet he would have said, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that's not a problem. We'll Zoom call this one. I don't think so. Go to a place, he said, that de- he's designated. There was a certain mountain. We don't know which one it was. Here's the whole point of it. Begin wherever Jesus puts you, but let him put you somewhere. Blessed is a man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or sit in the, uh, stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but he is like a tree planted by the water. He is like a tree that bears fruit, bears fruit because someone has planted him there. And when the other trees around him don't act like he thinks they should, he don't suddenly reel in all his limbs and rake up all his leaves and start tearing out of the woods and they'll find him a better spot. Go wherever God has planted you. There have been a few times... More often than not, when people leave a church, they just leave. We know very little about it. I love it when someone leaves one ministry because God has called them to another ministry. Because you and I as disciples, we don't go, we're sent. We don't tell, we're told. Go where he plants you, man. And sometimes that may be Rutherford County. You know, when... Myself and two other pastors were praying about where to start Cornerstone Fellowship. We had some options. Oh, we prayed about going to California. That just scares me saying that. But one of us had some ties in California, in Orange County. And this was before the big uh, contemporary church movement was up in really running and and we also talked about Atlanta and uh, we thought about going there and starting a church like Cornerstone so we were praying about this and one day I'm in the word and I'm praying to God and I come across the passage and it just hit my heart so hard where the disciples asked Jesus before they fed the multitude how can we feed so many in such a desert place we're not like, you know, we're, we're not in the mall at the food court or whatever it's called. I never did know why they call it food court, you know. I'm guilty, all right? But we're in a desert place. And God helped me to see that, you know, where I want this church to start, Mike? I want it to start right here. Do you know, when you start a contemporary church in Rutherford County, and we were one of the first, you're talking about people looking at you like a mule staring at a brand new barn door. We had all kind of questions. Why didn't you put Baptist in the name? Boy, that's, that, that, that's, that's a good one right there. And 
tons of questions. And you know where the biggest criticism came from when we started this church? It was not from lost people. It was from other churches and other pastors. One of the most prestigious pastors in the county looked me in the eye and said, why didn't you tell us you were going to do this? I'm like, excuse me? Why would I tell you? This is something God told me. I've been scared to death ever since. Me and this little precious lady right here, we sold the ski boat. We sold the Cherokee that pulled the ski boat. We sold the backup when the Cherokee didn't crank car. We moved into a mobile home, into a broom sage field that was about that tall, and we didn't own a lawnmower, okay? I told most of you this story. I told Loretta one day, I said, we're official rednecks now. We don't own a lawnmower, but we have a satellite dish. And we had one of those huge, it was half as big as the mobile home. Our mobile home was not even underpinned. We were the talk of the community. You could see our plumbing when you just rode by the road. And I forgot to ask him or tell Preacher Whizbang we were starting a church. Man, I was following God every day, scared, slammed to death, didn't know how it was all going to work out. God is so good. It, secondly, not only requires compliance and commitment, thirdly, it requires credibility. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And let's just say this quickly. Worship, proskuneo in the Greek, shaka in the Hebrew, but in the English, I think this is so important. The word we use, worship, is an old English word. And the first half is worth, and the second half is ship. And ship is a condition or a state of being, like sportsmanship or good craftsmanship. Worth is value. Worth-ship. That is where the word worship came from. So it means that God Almighty is in such a state that he deserves our worship. We give value to him. We express his preeminence when we worship him. And I don't mean just how we sing. Uh, It means how loud we write a check sometimes. It means how often we show up for something that we weren't even gifted in, but somebody needed to do it. It means going to countries that aren't exactly resort towns and telling people about Jesus Christ. That's how we show that God is preeminent and he is valued in our lives. And if he's not valued in our lives, it will do us no good to tell anybody else about him. It'll do no good. Man. And I will tell you this. The, it doesn't matter what you believe just so your nice crowd won't be making very many disciples of Christ. Because it does matter what you believe. 
if you don't believe that he is the son of God, if you don't believe that he came here and was incarnated into human flesh and lived and died on the cross for our sins and that he is the only way, no other way can you be saved except through faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Unless you believe that, just forget about discipleship. Because really you have nothing to say. I remember years ago when I was at Gardner-Webb College, telling my age a little bit, but when it was just a college, there was a major controversy hit our campus. We'd had a revival on campus, and there were a bunch of students that were going around. You're not going to believe this, but they were telling people about Jesus. It's crazy. And you know what happened? There was a major controversy arose because not only were they telling lost people they needed to be saved, they told some Catholic lost people they needed to be saved. Man. Now, I don't know how long it had been since Gardner-Webb had had a revival, but I believe that would have been the thing to have been concerned about. But I remember there was a debate. Guess where I was? Right in the middle of it. And this one girl, she looked at all of us and she said, look, I don't think I ought to be trying to get other people to believe what I believe. And I looked at her and I said, well, if you don't think I need it, what are you doing with it? You mean you're going to bet your whole eternity on a belief system that you don't even think I need? That I can just choose my own or go whichever direction I like or believe whatever I feel and I'm okay. And, of course, by then she's backing up and uh, they're getting the campus uh, police. But I'm just telling you, I did a little preaching that day because I'm like, if, if it doesn't mean any more than that to you, then why? If, if you don't think I need it, what are you doing with it? Phew. Well takes credibility, and we get that by putting him first in our lives to start with. It also requires conviction. In verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, I'm going to ask you, what does that mean? First of all, the word is not power, and I know in some of the older English translations, they translate it as power. The word for power is dunamis. The word for authority is exousia. Ex is out of, and Usia is being. So that means out of his very being because of who he is. He has authority. That's where we get the word authority from. You remember when your children of time or two maybe, maybe not more than once or twice I bet, forgot who they were talking to? Have you ever had to remind one of them of that? Out of my being, I'm your daddy. Okay? And if you intend on being a being much longer, you don't need to forget that. <laughs> okay? Because I am your father. I have authority because of who I am. Who do you think you're, this is a cool one, who do you think you're talking to? Yeah, we're, we're bringing up our exousia, our authority because of who we are. We are their parent. 
Exousia is authority, and that's the word that he uses here. Now, I want to ask us a question today. This is where we're going to learn something a little deep. Why does Jesus, did Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not already have authority? He did. He did. As a matter of fact, God the Son existed with all authority. If you look at Matthew, just stay in Matthew's gospel. There was authority in his teaching. At the Sermon on the Mount, when it closes, they said, He taught us as one having exousia. And that's because the rabbis in that day, when they taught, and that's all they thought he was, was just a rabbi, they said that they would normally, almost everything they said, they would footnote a rabbi. And the older the rabbi that they could footnote, the more authority their words would have. Jesus had no footnotes in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's reread that last verse. He taught us as if he had his own authority. And there's no way that could be true, of course, they were thinking, because if he could do that, that would mean he's... No. Yeah. It would mean he's God. He had his own authority. He didn't footnote any of them. He used the authority to forgive sins. Remember that got him in some serious trouble. They brought a man in, tore the roof off the house, let him down in Matthew 9. And first thing Jesus said, well, let's forgive him of his sins first. Because if I never get around to healing him, if I forgive him of his sins, man, I'm going to tell you, the healing part won't matter. I'm going to heal his soul first. And boy, they had a fit about it. He had authority over Satan. He delegated that to his apostles as well in Matthew chapter 10. But let me just say this. The God-man, Jesus Christ, until he died on the cross, the Son of God, the divine Son of God, had all authority. But the God-man, until he fulfilled the purpose that he came for, And that was to die on the cross until he had died for sinners. And the sin curse, the sentence of condemnation hanging over us until it had been stripped away, until uh, uh, the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood, until that happened and the sin curse was lifted. It was only after that that the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, as well as the Son of God, then all authority was given unto him. Because you got to remember, Jesus was a spirit. He was a, some, he was a spirit being. Until he came to this earth, he lived in a physical body. He died, and his body was resurrected. He has a glorified body, and he went back to heaven with something that he didn't come here with. So Jesus is telling us, and we know Jesus is God, and we know the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that they're not three different persons. We know all of that. We don't understand it, do we? But we know it. It doesn't make sense to the human mind. But Jesus, as the God-man, can now say, I done it. I I am justified in forgiving the sins of David Cooper because I didn't just say, hey, David, try to do better next time and we'll forget about what you've done so far. No, 
He says, somebody has to die. I'm the one. I'm God. And I said, somebody has to die for the forgiveness of sin. And when Jesus Christ came as, as, as fully God and took on the body of flesh and died for David's sins, he could now look at his disciples and say, all authority in heaven and earth now belongs to the one standing here in front of you. God has satisfied his own nature and his own wrath. He saved us from himself. And now he can look at his disciples and say, if you tell someone about me, and you teach them whatsoever I have commanded you. I don't care how bad Satan doesn't want them to be born again. They're going to be born again because I can do whatever I want to do. I know it's kind of deep to get into what can God do and not do. God cannot violate his nature. So until he did die as a spotless lamb, a sinless lamb on the cross, he could not look at one human on this planet and say, you have been justified and you have been redeemed and you are perfectly righteous in the sight of God. He could not do that until he broke the very curse of sin. And once he did that, he says, now I can do anything. Man, it's pretty awesome. Let me give you a couple of scriptures and then we'll, we'll move on. Paul talks about this. Listen to this, Philippians 3.21. Who will transform the body of our humble state? I, I, I don't know about you, but this body is a humble, it's in a humble state, okay? That's why we don't really go out much in bathing suits after 50. You're too humble, you know? <laughs> you got those very close veins, or whatever they're called, and some wrinkles and stuff, and these old bodies are humble, and mine's getting more humble by the day. Man, I'm here to tell you, He's going to transform our body from our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. How can he give me a glorified body like his one day? Because he has all authority in heaven and earth. Let me give you one more. John 17 to Father, he's prayed. You remember this prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Does that make a little more sense now? Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have forgiven. My work on the cross, Father, sealed the deal for us. Now, we can do anything. Man, 
commitment, comp, uh, uh, compliance. We have to have credibility, conviction. Also requires consistency. Uh, I can't see my watch, so anyway. Um, he says in verse 19, go, therefore. And I've already told you that is as you go, literally. I, I'm not trying to fight Bible translators or anything here. I'm just telling you in the Greek, it is as you go or as you are going. It is an I-N-G word uh, is what we call them in South Carolina and more sophisticated uh, uh, groups, they call them participles. I'm going to tell you something. This is controversial. He says, as you go, as you are going in your everyday life of going, not a Tuesday night visitation. Man, nobody in the world hates that more than the ones doing it, I think, than the ones that are having it done to them. Man, there are people that they know Tuesday nights is when we go out to eat because they're going to come beating on the door. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad way to disciple. I think beating on doors is great. But don't let it be the only way you try to disciple people. You can tell people about Jesus, but discipling them and walking with them on a continual basis for maybe years at a time, I can tell you that's making disciples. So he says, as you go, don't just go one time. No, as you go. He didn't say invite them to church. And, I, and let me tell you now, I wish every lost person in Rutherford County was sitting in here this morning. That'd be great, but I can tell you, inviting lost people to church is a conundrum because think about it. If we came here to worship God, how are they going to join in with worshiping God if they don't know God? Well, we're thinking, I know, we're thinking, well, but if, if they hear Preacher Mike and, and boy, I, I just think they might come to know him. That's not how Christ said they will come to know him. He says, Go! Don't invite the world to uh, church, but the church needs to go to the world, he said. This is what Jesus said. And I know that's controversial, but I can tell you something. If we worship God and we do at church what we should be doing, a lost person, I'm not saying they can't get saved, but I will tell you this. They're going to feel awfully out of place. And a lot of churches, no doubt, nowadays, Boy, they have worked overtime to make lost people feel just as welcome as if they actually knew God. They, and and, and I, I understand that. I want everybody to feel welcome. I'm not telling anybody not to come, but I'm telling you this is a time where God's people come together and we worship God. I hear seeker-friendly a lot. I don't mind being seeker-friendly as long as we understand the seeker is Jesus. And he's seeking to save that which is lost. Man. The only direct command he gives here is make disciples. That's an imperative. That means make learners, make pupils, make people who are constantly growing and learning things in the faith. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Man, that, if, if people ever said, well, God, Jesus never actually said he was God. 
man, this is not the only place. This is just one of many places that he declares it flat out, no doubt about it. Then next of all, it requires some measure of competence. We'll move from this one to our last point and close, but some measure of competence. In verse 20, it says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. We do try here, and I, I thank God for it. We have some good teachers. We have some good classes. I wish more people came. But we have to be teaching people because I can tell you one of the biggest reasons that people don't make disciples is they don't know how. What would you teach them? A lot of people, the end of their discipleship is, uh, well, well, you know, you ought to talk to Preacher Mike about that. He knows all them, those Greek brew words and stuff like that. Oh, he could, let me get you his number. What does they need my number for? God put them in your life. He didn't say to get your pastor, make sure he's making disciples. You need to be equipped. And that's what Paul said my job is. He said the, the pastor teachers are to equip the saints for every good work. So when we're teaching and, yeah, we drift off into some words. I, I, I know I've said it so many times, but I'm going to say it again. I, I, I really hate it when people act like that, you know, don't, don't preach over my head, preacher. Keep it simple. Why? Why just, and I don't mean to, in an arrogant kind of way, keep it simple. But if you come here and all you ever hear is stuff you already knew, how are you going to grow? Imagine your kid coming home from college and telling you, I'm not going back, mama or daddy. They talked about stuff I never heard. That might be a good time to break out some exousia on them. Say, I paid $50,000 for you to hear some things you'd never heard. That's why they call it school. Teach them. Don't just preach in a cadence or with loud volume and theatrics so that you hold their attention with a sermon that's two miles long and a quarter inch deep. No, teach them some things that maybe they had never, ever heard. Teaching, it does require some competence. And he says, teach all things. We don't have editorial uh, authority. Don't forget that. I got to teach you all things that Jesus said. I got to teach you that Jesus said most people are going to hell. That's not a, a, a popular truth, but but it is a truth. I, I got to teach you, and and we've got you have to teach your disciples the other the, the the people you're discipling. You have to teach them that Jesus didn't come here to bring peace. He said, "Don't even think I did." He said, "I came to bring a sword. I came to divide the dearest relationships in your life because following me." sometimes means you're going to say bye or have conflict with some of the most intimate relationships in life. That, that's, that's what Jesus said. Teach them all things. 
whatsoever I have commanded you. Then last of all, it requires confidence. Don't go by yourself. Go with him. Go with him. In verse 20, I love this. He said, I am with you. I'd never thought much of the illustration, but I remember an old illustration by G. Campbell Morgan who said, he told a lady one day, that's a promise we've got from God. And said, that old woman looked at him and said, that's not a promise, that's a fact. Okay. I didn't think much of it at first, but the longer I thought about it, I thought, you know, the old lady did have a point. Because he doesn't promise I will be with you. No, he says, no, 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 no. I am with you right now. And just so we can say we've covered it, here we go. Don't let it get over your head. But he uses the word ego I me. And if any of you remember some of our classes on John, ego I me literally would be translated I am, I am. Jesus referred to himself that way quite often. Ego I me. Hey, Hadas, I am the way. Ego ami, hey, Alathea, I am the truth. Ego ami, hey, Zoe, I am the life. Where did he get that I am that I am from? That sounds odd, does it not? Where did it come from? Yeah. Moses says, uh, when I go tell Pharaoh that I'm here to take all two and a half million of his slaves away, who should I say sent me? I love it later when Moses not only says, God, who are you? Old humble Moses says, God, who am I? Who am I that I could go do something like that? That's a good way to start. Because if the ego I me is with you, it won't matter who you are. He'll help you. He says, I am with you. And I love it. We translate this to the end of the age. That's pretty, pretty good translation. I, I like that because that means there's more to come. It means this age is going to end. That's right. This is the church age. It's not going to go on forever. There's a day coming one day when God stands at his feet in heaven and says, that's enough. Go get my bride. Bring her home. And we're going to step into the eternal age then at that point. But he says, until the end of this one, I am with you. And after that, you'll be with me. (laughs) Yeah, I like that too. Man. He's just with us. There's another in the fire. I like that. Standing next to me. There's another in the waters holding back the sea. We we sing that here. And should I ever need reminding of how I've I've been set free, there's a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There's another in the fire. And that's where we go, ooh. I didn't want to leave that out. 
Because I say, woo-hoo. It's awesome when you can feel his presence. When he whispers in your ear, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you, Mike. I already am. I don't have to come from somewhere. I already am with you. And I'm not going anywhere until the end of this age. And then you come home to be with me. That's the business of the church. I, I, I don't want to sound braggadocious here or anything. But I really am. I, I've always, Cornerstone Fellowship has been the greatest blessing of any church I've ever been a part of in my life. The greatest, not one of them. It's, it's, it's just incredible. And I'll tell you one of the things, with all our faults, we've got them. I already talked about David's sin. But with all our faults, you know, one of the things I really do love about this church, when we pass these bags, offering bags, I like that too. Sacks. Take up offering in a sack. I like that. Because a coin don't ring too loud in it, Bob. If you he he will know what I mean by that. But let me just tell you this. I love it when when we give. I mean we have things around here that we have to do, but man, we've got missionaries galore. And I don't mean that we just pray for them, that we financially support 20 churches in India. That's incredible. I love that. I, I love that. Blind, blind people can only see to the end of their finger. And they'll extend it sometime with, with a walking cane, but that's not very far. They can only see what they can feel and what is near them. Blind churches can only see what they can touch and what affects them. And I hate it when I hear, well, we've got lost people around here. I bet you we don't have more than a thousand out of 60,000 in this county. And I'm going really big on that number that have never heard the gospel. You'd have to be on a different planet to not hear the gospel. Man, they've heard the gospel. Most of the people, they've heard it. We're part of a church, got mad, left, whatever. They've heard the gospel. Uh, in India, HBI Ministries that we are a part of, their mission statement is we want every man, woman, boy, and girl in India to have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And we'll accept no. It'll break our heart, but we're not going to sit there and hammer on the same door. We're going to keep on telling people. That's why they win people by the millions to Jesus Christ. It's amazing. I love that. 
going and telling. I hope you'll think about what I asked you earlier, though. Could you name even one person? And, and I'm not saying this to make you feel bad, but could you name one person that you brought along under your wing and you discipled them? I don't mean you just told them one time. I mean you spent time in the Word with them, walking with them. In Jesus' day, you lived with the rabbi. And I know you can't move everybody into your house, but you can spend enough time where they see your life and they see your priorities and they see how you give and they see how you love and, and they watch your life and how you glorify and worship God. Could you name one person yeah, I've done that. A lot can't, but I hope the next time we cover this, Lord's willing, I hope you can say, well, last time it was zero, but this time it's one. I got serious that day when I realized that God only told us one thing to do. I ought to be able to do that with His help and grace. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Teach somebody everything that Jesus commanded us. Let's pray. Our Father, help us make to make disciples, God. Help us to leave here today with a sense of how important it is that we not just tell people about you or try to have conversion experiences, God, or lead the area in baptisms, but God, that we make disciples, that we make pupils, students out of others because we've been one ourselves. Please help us with that, God. I pray, Lord, that we would begin to walk up to each other in the weeks and months ahead and introduce our student, our pupil, Introduce the person that we are discipling to other disciplers. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. I pray that it would be a fundamental change in priorities in our life. You've given us your word today, clearly. There's no doubt about it. And I pray, God, when Satan tells us we can't, somebody else has got to do it, that it's just not us. I pray, God, when we feel like that we could never do such a thing. I pray you'd remind us, Lord, that all authority is begin, has been given to you now. And if you say we can do it, we can do it. By your help and grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.